Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, welcome to Sibylline Podcast series. I'm Guo Yu, lead Asia Pacific analyst. Join me today is my fellow APA analyst Hans Horan, who specializes in Korean and Japanese politics. Together, we'll talk about the upcoming South Korean presidential election. Voters in South Korea will head into the polls next Wednesday to elect their new head of state as the constitution limits the incumbent presidential Mu Jae-in to a single five-year term. Despite the election being overshadowed by the unfolding conflict in Ukraine and the associated out. The presidential race looks set to be one of the closest contests. The two frontrunners, Lee Jae-moon and Yong Song-yong, appear to be neck and neck in opinion polls. Though both have been embroiled in corruption scandals lately, so the outcome of this contest will not only shape South Korea's social economic policy for the next five years, but you also likely have far-reaching implications to regional geopolitical dynamics, not least the volatile security situation on the Korean Peninsula. So Hans, if I may start with a general sort of overview of the latest outlook in the presidential campaign, what are the main candidates' policy platforms, please? Thanks, Hugo. I think I'll start off with talking about who the candidates are and, as you said, kind of what their policies will be. So we kind of have, I'll start off with the two leading candidates. So as you said, the Democratic Party, which is the current ruling party, their candidate is Lee Jae-myun, who is the former Gyeonggi provincial governor. Then we can go to the Conservative Party and, and the People Power Party, which their candidate is Yoon Suk-yul, as you said. And then up until this morning, we had two minor candidates as well. We had An Jo Su, who, is a mem- who was the candidate for the People Party. And then we also had Shin Sung-jung, who is the candidate for the Justice Party. However, this morning we had some very interesting news where An Chol Su and Yoon Suk-yeol have agreed to a merger, which essentially means that An Chol Su will forego his candidacy within the presidential candidate and he will back Yoon for, for president. And then later on in the year, the, the People's Party and the, and the People Power Party will merge into one single opposition bloc. So at the moment, the two leading candidates I said are Lee and Yoon, who to a certain extent, have quite different policy platforms on on certain issues. So in terms of economic issues, they're quite aligned that at the moment, the main focus should be recovering from the COVID epidemic. And they largely believe that will happen through the government, the so-called chables, which is the family-run businesses. And then you also through some form of kind of fiscal stimulus and things of that nature. So in that sense, they're, they're quite consistent. However, you do have the idea that Lee will largely follow Moon Jae-in's policies over the last five years, so there'll be a certain level of policy in that sense. However, on the other hand, Yoon has been a very, very hard uh, critic of Moon's policies and of his administration over, in general over the last five years. And so he's very much said that he's going to, in some ways, abolish or get rid of certain, certain kind of economic policies that have been kind of hallmarks of Moon's administration. So for instance, he's promised to decrease capital gains tax. Uh, he's also talked about loosening some cryptocurrency legislation or, or rules around cryptocurrency and trading and things of that nature to make it easy to do in, in a, a quite technologically advanced country like South Korea. And in that sense, we're seeing very kind of 
contrasting opinions. In terms of foreign policy, on the other hand, we're seeing much, much kind of bigger gaps between their policy stances. So as I said, uh, Lee will largely follow Moon's policy despite his promises not to follow it to the T. We do expect Lee to largely follow kind of his foreign policy plan of diplomacy and kind of initiation and integration with a lot of these neighboring countries, specifically with North Korea. Lee has very much been a proponent of diplomacy first approach towards North Korea. Whereas Yun has been very hawkish towards North Korea and has promised to, amongst other things, increase defense spending, to increase the level of defense cooperation with the U.S., to engage in a harder dialogue with North Korea in terms of regional security and things of that nature. So kind of a wide range of overlapping issues, whereas, you know, other issues such as foreign policy and defense, they have very, very drastically different opinions on the matter. Thanks for the great overview. So it looks like a lot of policy platforms will be quite different between those two frontrunners. And we noticed that it is going to be a very closely fought contest. So you mentioned about this merger of Yong and An Chung-sung, the third candidate. What's going to be the significance of this matter that would potentially sort of influence the election outcome? Oh, very much so. So it's actually quite interesting this is happening now. It's been in talks for a couple of weeks now, but I do think that it's going to have a very big impact and almost certainly will ensure that the opposition party, if doesn't win the presidential election, will be very, very, very close to winning it. And, the, and it will come down to the next couple of days about how Lee responds to the merger. So as you said, it's very close to contested. Both Lee and Yun, depending on the polls that you look at, are polling at around 40% with a margin rate of about 3.1%. So in some more conservative polls, we see that Lee is ahead by a few points. And in more conservative polls, we see that Yun is ahead by a few points. So it's very hard to determine right now who actually has a, a solid lead in certain topics. However, the, one of the reasons why Yun is so close to contestant and he's so close to Lee at the moment is because a lot of votes, conservative votes, were being taken away by the People Party's candidates, who, again, is a conservative party. So we did see a certain level of split. So An was polling at around 10% before the merger. And we do expect a certain number of those voters to move over to Yun, especially with kind of endorsement of Yun for, for, for president, and especially because of the merger. So in terms of the exact impact that this will have, it's really hard to determine at this particular moment. We did see some previous opinion polls earlier, kind of in late 2021, that were indicating that if An were to win the main opposition kind of presidential bid, if you will, that he was much more likely to win against Lee than Yun was. However, we've also seen that if An were to step down, Yun would most likely gain a good number of votes in, in contrast and could potentially run away with the election over Lee. But again, these polls were many months ago and haven't really had follow-ups in that regard. So at the moment, it's really hard to determine the accuracy of these polls, again, because of political biases and of only polling certain demographics within the country. So it's really going to come down to the button, if you will, in terms of figuring out who's going to win this contest. That's very interesting. So it looks like I might be a key kingmaker in, in this very closely uh, contested presidential race. Moving on, looking at the electorate, what are the most pressing issues? What are the issues that matter the most for the voters at this moment and how it might basically influence in their voting behavior? So in terms of what's the most pressing issues that voters have said that they are considering when it comes to picking their, their future president, the issues have been largely around uh, recovering from the COVID pandemic in terms of the economy, 
reforming real estate. So kind of they're rising real estate prices in a lot of areas and corruption scandals, which uh, I'll get back to you in a second, but I'll cover the first two first. So the most pressing issue for most people has been the growing price of real estate in South Korea. So under Moon Jae-in's administration, property prices in Seoul, exclusively in Seoul, has increased by 90% in an area that's already quite pricey. This rise in, in property prices has been almost detrimental to the to younger generation in terms of being able to buy apartments, buy houses, have the same kind of luxuries that their parents did during their ages, during when they were growing up. So in terms of that, that's been the, one of the most pressing issues for them. And for most people, they blame the Moon administration for these issues, for not being able to properly handle implementing economic policies, but at the same time, having those policies that impact the real estate property prices and not being able to mitigate those increases. So Lee, unfortunately, because he's a member of uh, the Democratic Party, he's seen as an extension of Moon. And because of that, a lot of the issues around property prices are kind of sticking to him at this particular moment. And people have been expressing wanting a change from the current administration. And Lee, to many people, doesn't present that opportunity. In contrast, Yun, on the other hand, has been very critical of what the administration has done in terms of property prices, in terms of the economy, and has said that that will be one of his main goals of uh, during his presidency, will be you know, dealing with property prices, dealing with the so-called economic stagnation of the younger generations in South Korea, things of that nature. So uh, moving on to kind of other things in terms of corruption scandals. Corruption scandals has also been quite important to the electorate in terms of picking their candidate. Unfortunately, in, in this aspect, it's kind of picking the best of two evils. So both leading candidates, both Lee and Yun, have been embroiled in corruption scandals on different levels. So Yun, who is a former chief prosecutor, has been embroiled in a corruption scandal because uh, from last year, where essentially he's been accused of using his influence as chief prosecutor to help the opposition party win votes during the gubernatorial election last year. And at the same time, his wife has also been accused of lying on her CV to gain favor during interviews and things of this nature, which has stuck to Yun to a certain extent over the last couple of months. Lee, on the other hand, is in a much more complicated and kind of hard corruption scandal in terms of Lee being the former Gyeonggi professional governor. He was also the former mayor of Songnam. And in Songnam, there was a property uh, development plan that has basically embroiled into a larger issue where because of Lee's position as the mayor and because of the issues around property prices and things of that nature, he has become implicated in the scandal itself. And almost in some cases, the opposition party has said that he may have been an instigator of the scandal itself. So in that sense, we've seen both candidates having to deal with a multitude of different issues at the same time, which has attributed to the fact that they are kind of neck and neck in in terms of, of, of the polls at this particular moment. I do think that these issues being corruption, property prices, and economic reform will be the key issues in terms of determining who will become president alongside with the merger itself, as I said. With neither candidate really showing any kind of favor either way or the other in terms of policies, it's really going to come down to the day in terms of how the voters feel, which better of two evils will present them with the best opportunities over the next five years. We discussed a lot of details about the domestic policy outlooks for each candidate. How about foreign policy? How do you think each individual candidate's policy will impact on South Korea's relationship with uh, neighboring countries? You know, thinking of the ongoing tensions with Japan. Of course, there's North Korea who has, you know, recently been conducting a flurry of uh, ballistic missile tests. What's your view on the 
foreign policy outlook for whoever comes into the new president? So this will be quite an interesting one in terms of, as I previously said, both candidates have a different foreign policy package. I'll handle each candidate individually. I'll start off with Japan, for instance. In terms of dealing with Japan, I think both candidates will be quite aligned on this issue. So there is not a lot of political will in South Korea at the moment to improve relations with Japan unless Japan admits to certain kind of issues. So uh, for them, it would be admitting to using forced Korean labor during the World War II and during the, the, the colonial occupation, things of that nature, dialing down their provocative activity in terms of the Yasukuni Shrine, which is the shrine that honors war dead, including the soldiers who fought and occupied Korea and things of that nature. So those issues are not, are not going to go anytime soon. And I don't think that either candidates will be openly promoting a policy package that will incorporate more of Japan without the Japanese side. So in, in that case, Japanese Prime Minister Kishida and his administration admitting to these issues and putting forward a policy to, to admit and atone for those issues within a, within a reasonable time frame. In terms of their, their neighbors to the north in North Korea, I think, again, they, as I said previously, their differencing stance on these, on these issues will very much determine the relationship over the next couple of years. So as I said, Lee is much, open, much more open to diplomacy. He's much more open to kind of an open dialogue with the North and trying to figure out how they can better improve relations, whereas Yoon is much more hawkish. So one of the key issues for North Korea, which is one of the reasons also why they've been launching a flurry of ballistic missiles, as you said, is trying to figure out where each candidate will draw the line with the North, with Pyongyang, especially in terms of provocative behavior. So Yoon, as I said, is hawkish. He very much does not want to engage with North Korea purely because of the security risk. He's been talking about, as I said, increasing more defense kind of drills with the US, talking about adopting more SAD uh, defense missile systems to deter ballistic missile tests from North Korea, which is an issue that North Korea said that we don't want more SAD because that's just an escalatory act and it threatens our own national security. As North Korea tries to probe out these issues, if we move towards more of a Yun presidency, we'll probably see a much colder relationship between the two. We will probably see more U.S.-South Korea joint military drills. We will probably see the South Korea try and move towards a more kind of hardened fence stance, not only in terms of North Korea, but just in general, improving their defensive capabilities. Whereas Lee will much be more open, will be a continuation of the moon policies of open dialogue, trying to help North Korea in terms of humanitarian aid, trying to help North Korea in terms of bringing an end to the conflict, to the inter-Korean tensions. There is one caveat to the statement, though, is that, as I said previously, we had some, the Gruber National Election was last year, which the, the current ruling party, Democratic Party, won quite handedly. So that means that any kind of major policy changes that a conservative party, kind of ruling party under Yun, would want to implement would have to first go through the House of Parliament or the, the, the South Korean version of the House of, Par of Parliament. And that's unlikely to happen. Certain, certain kind of overtly aggressive actions or, or policies that he'd want to push that would potentially further kind of isolate themselves from North Korea are unlikely to pass DP majority parliament, which will be in a point of friction over the next five years under a conservative government. Whereas under a Lee presidency, we are likely to see much more kind of open policy being passed through the parliament, being passed in terms of improving relations with North Korea, improving relations with other kind of regional neighbors and and to a certain extent, also improving security cooperation with the U.S. So there's a lot of kind of moving parts at the moment in terms of what policy plans will look like with, for, with, with, with their neighboring countries and with allies in the next couple of years. And it very much will come down to, again, 
who wins and how they go about dealing with their own issues. So with Yun being, again, a, a ruling party with no control in parliament, with Lee being a more so-called peace-loving president under the Democratic Party. So those are kind of the issues that I'm looking for uh, myself. That's excellent. So it looks like, as you mentioned, a lot of moving parts, a lot of uncertainty at the moment, not least because it's a very closely fought election and all will become much clearer, one would have hoped, uh, come next Wednesday uh, when we know the election outcomes, um, you know, next week. We'll be watching it very closely and uh, it looks like intriguing contest there. Also next week, there are several key events that we'll be following across our regional desks. So first of all, of course, one cannot really look beyond the escalating conflict in Ukraine. We will continue our comprehensive coverage on this subject with our daily briefing webinars and multiple daily updates, including at weekends. So the coming days will, will likely be very critical for Ukraine with the Russian encirclement of Kiev looming. Moving back to our region, China is hosting its annual parliamentary session, known as two sessions, which will begin this Saturday on 5th of March. The focus will be much on domestic policies, social economic objectives. Be laying out key policy priorities and goals, and stability likely to be the buzzword for the conference, uh, as the leadership roles to ensure a stable political and social economic environment ahead of a very important Chinese Communist Party Congress uh, this autumn. And we also likely to see stimulus packages being brought out to tackle slowing economy. You'll be interested to see if and what target that the government sets for uh, this year's GDP's growth. Finally, in Chile, President-elect Gabriel Boric will assume office on 11th of March. He is the first president from Chile's radical left since the return of to democracy, and he is taking over from the incumbent center-right government. So we expect policy risks will increase as Boric starts to implement his reformist agenda, focusing on sustainable development. The inauguration itself may also serve a flashpoint for domestic unrest. Thank you, Hans, for joining me today to discuss the Korea election. And thank you for tuning in today. If you have any questions, please contact us via info at Until next time, goodbye.